uh, turn to 1 Samuel 15, 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. We'll read to the end of the chapter, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came in cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed or hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The word of the Lord. Cyril Barber is a commentator that I read to prepare for the sermon, and one of the things that's interesting about Cyril Barber, he is a commentator and a preacher. And so, you know, men who teach and teach at seminaries, they are often asked to uh, preach in the evenings on Sundays many times. And so he preached an evening sermon. And after he preached, there was a woman named Donna who came up to, her, come, came up to him. And she began to talk to him and explain to him all the things that she was doing to serve the Lord. She was uh, on the missions committee. She was on the young people's committee. She was the president of the Women's Auxiliary. She chaired the Bible Study Fellowship. She visited the hospital and she sang in the choir. Then she began to tell him about all the distress she had over her husband, her husband's lack of spirituality, his irregular church attendance, his inconsistency in Bible reading. And in the evening time, he was watching TV and uh, reading the newspaper and just really had a lack of love for God. She then told him that she had been attracted to another man at a PTA meeting that her children, at her children's school. 
And these are her words. He is a Christian, a widower, and I've seen him a few times. And I cannot think but how happy I would be if, well, you know, if we were married. Instead of, if I was married to him instead of to Stan. Well, since Barbara didn't know her personally, he was very blunt with Donna. He said, have you been sinfully involved with this man? And she said, yes. And then immediately she began to recount to him all her Christian service. As if this was the reason she had at least this reason for one small indiscretion. All the good things she was doing. He sought to reason with her from the scriptures. He told her she was foolish and sinful. And she would not listen. All his scriptural reasoning, all his scriptural rebuke was to no effect. And so the two of them parted. So the story's not over, though. Barber later, for many years later, was called back to the church to preach again, and he asked the pastor how Donna was doing. And the pastor told him, told, yes, told him the awful news, that she did divorce her husband, Stan, and that caused a great rift in, in his life and in the children's life, and they were suffering from it. She went on and joined another church and got married to the widower. And then so many years, a few years later, after she got involved in the new church, doing all the same things she was doing in the old church, soon after that, this man divorced her. She disappeared from the church. She began, began to be uh, involved in a life of drugs. She began to drink. and She was killed in a car crash uh, after being drunk in that car Stan, her husband, went and claimed her body along with her children. They claimed her body. They brought her back to the church, and they gave her a private burial. This is a modern-day story of Saul. Saul, in 1, Corinthians, I mean 1 Samuel 13, Samuel walked away from Saul. Only in 1 Samuel 15 to come back. Almost as if to say, God's not finished with you, man. And he told Saul, Samuel told Saul, this is the word of God to you. God wants to use you to be a sword of justice against the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when Israel came out of Egypt. You are to destroy them, all of them. You are to take no spoil. You are to take nothing out, leave all there dead. But he did not do all that God commanded. He spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites. He left alive the best livestock of all in the, among the Amalekite, uh, that area where they went. And he was going to sacrifice the best animals before God. He was totally convinced that he had obeyed the Lord. And when the prophet confronted him, just as Cyril Barber confronted Donna, with the word of the Lord, he rationalized his sin. He would not listen to what uh, the Lord said to him through the prophet. Saul was a master of formal worship. Saul was a master at showing up and putting on a great show in front of others, but in his heart he was disobedient to God. Saul hardened his heart with persistent disobedience, and he met with a terrible death. He was not drunk with alcohol, but he was drunk with madness. Madness, he died at Mount Gilboa. The Philistines found him. They cut off his head. They pinned him up on a wall, and later his own people from Jabesh Gilead claimed his body 
and they gave him a private burial. And so this evening what I want to do is show you, as we move towards 1 Samuel 31.4, I want to show you the definition of superficial repentance. We can look back at verses 13 through 21. Saul has been rationalizing. Remember what he said? I did all that the Lord commanded me to do. And then Samuel says, well, what is this that I hear, this bleeding of all these sheep and all this lowing of the cows? What am I hearing? Well, the soldiers brought back the best of the animals to sacrifice to the Lord. Wait right there, he says. Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. He has told me that you have done evil in the sight of the Lord. No, but I did obey. I brought Agag back, but all the other Amalekites I've utterly destroyed. No, Saul, obeying is better than sacrifice. God rejects you from being king. Well, once Saul realized that Samuel was not going to give an inch, Saul finally repented. These are the words that he said in verse 24. I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now, folks, those are some good words. Those are real good words. And, you know, there was a guy I worked with in the hospital at the, in the exercise physiology lab. <laughs> he used to say this. I used to just, I used to think, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> he used to say, I'm for people. I thought, that, that's pretty good. That ought to almost be in the Bible. I'm for people. <laughs> I'm for Saul. Are you? I'm for Saul. I mean, these are some good words. Listen to these words. I want Saul to repent. I have sinned. Good words. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord. Very good words. Please pardon my sin. Good words. But I want to show you, as good as these words are, I want to show you five reasons these are superficial words. First of all, it's just too easy. Did you listen to what was going on beforehand? Over and over, he's been told he's sinned. And over and over, what has he done? No, I've done it all. I've obeyed the word of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, when the pressure's really on and he knows he's going to lose face because the prophet's not going to go back with him. Uh, okay, I've sinned. I've done it. It's time to repent and mean it from the heart. It's not time to repent and hope that the prophet doesn't uh, choose to continue saying, no, I'm not going to go back with you. Augustine writes these words. He says, while to the human ear the words were the same, the divine eye saw a difference in the heart. It's just too easy. And it's not being received by Samuel or God. Second, it's superficial and it's in repentance because he had been caught. I mean, this is like getting your hand caught. I mean, you know, the kiddos, this is the proverbial hand in the cookie jar with actually seeing the kid with his hand in the jar and then holding the lid on this, you know, and the whole deal. He's caught. The, the lambs and the animals, they're all bleeding around him. And I have sinned. I mean, he has to say it. He's been caught red-handed. Third, it, it comes because of consequences. The, this, the prophet says, I will not return with you. 
as Samuel turned to go, he's not going with him. Samuel's not going to go back. And Saul's going, okay, okay, I've sinned. I don't want to lose the kingdom over this. How many times have you, maybe you've done it. I know I probably did it. But I had a friend that I was in seminary with, and he broke the ethic, ethics code. And he asked me to pray for him, and so I prayed for him. And I told him, I said, you better get ready. I said, they, they mean business on this thing. You can't break the seminary's code and expect not to have these consequences. But we prayed and we hoped for the best. And then they released him for two years. He could not go to school at seminary for two more years. And he was full of rage. Superficial repentance doesn't like the consequences in superficial repentance, number four, it makes even more excuses. Listen to what verse 24 says. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Compare that to David. When David confessed his sin in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, what does he say? Against who? Against thee. Against thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. He confesses in Psalm 32, he acknowledges his own personal guilt before God. When you and I confess our sins and repent of our sins, it may not feel good. But we shouldn't be pointing the finger at anybody else while we do it. Fifth, superficial repentance is very horizontal and it's not vertical. Listen to that again. It's horizontal, it's not vertical. Saul's repentance is concerned about himself and he's concerned about what he looks like in front of other people and he's not concerned as we just said as we talked about David he's not concerned about going up he's not concerned about what God thinks I feared the people he says to the to the prophet I feared those those soldiers I feared the people I want to go back I want to be honored by the elders I want you to be there I want everybody to think okay all good thoughts about me I want their good opinion <laughs> He asked Samuel to forgive him and this is what he says that we may worship that that, that I may go back with you and worship your God he doesn't say, worship my God. He says, worship your God. Could we say, and not for fun, but could we say that Saul is not like Brian? Saul's vertically challenged. He's vertically challenged. He's not looking up. He doesn't want to lose face in front of men. He's not taken up with concern about being right with God no matter what. He's so concerned about being okay in the face and the eyes of men. Well, this is the definition of superficial repentance. It's too easy. It's a result of being caught. It happens and comes about because of consequences and it makes more excuses and it seems to be a wavelength that we can all get on. Right? We can get so concerned about the good opinion of others. We can be so concerned about popularity and favor. We'll do anything. We'll even worship God in front of other people in order to keep our good, the good opinion of others upon us. It's so easy for us to think that we've had a good day because we've gained the eyes of other men's countenances. We obsess over horizontal things. 
and the good opinions of others. But a really good day is when we go vertical, when we gain God's face and His countenance. The Bible tells us that if we seek the good opinion of men, it's a snare to us and our hearts can be hardened because of it. You and I must forget the acclaim of the crowd. We must forget obsessing over the eyes of men and we must obsess over having God's face on us and smiling upon us. Genuine dealings with sin before God means that you were willing to lose face before men in order to gain the face of God. It means that when we look at the story of the children of Israel, remember they had sinned and they said what? They, they went to Moses and Moses asked God what to do and what did God tell Moses to do? Make a hideous Form a terrible, horrible-looking serpent. Put it on a pole and raise it up, and you have to look up or you'll be saved. You have to go looking up. David said, I have sinned against thee and thee only. The prodigal son said, I have sinned against heaven. He went vertical. If you go and look at Luke chapter 18, it tells us that the publican said, God vertical. If you go look at what it says about the Pharisee, the Pharisee was praying to himself and he was saying, I'm glad I'm not like horizontal other men. Repentance is consumed with vertical things, consumed with being right with God, consumed with walking with God and will lie in the dirt before men. Well, second, that's superficial repentance. Let's look at the rejection of superficial worship. Samuel has categorically rejected Saul's superficial repentance. And he has said to Saul over and over, I will not return with you. And then when he turns to leave, Saul is desperate and he grabs hold of his robe. And when he does so, he tears it. And Samuel looking at him and seeing this in God's providence, he says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And then he says this also, and this is a name for God, the glory of Israel. There's a good name for God. The glory of Israel. There's a name for God. He will not lie or change his mind, for he will not he for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Think about Saul groveling. He's on his face groveling, holding on to this torn Robe. And from this point on, we're going to see Saul decrease and David increase. David's not a perfect man, but David's a better man. David is a man who will obey the word of God from the prophet, and Saul has proven that he will not. So the better man is in, and Saul is out, and there's nothing Saul can do about it because God is not a man that he will change his mind. And all of this whole chapter, we see God is grieving God never changes his mind. He's sorrowing over Saul's rejection of his word. God doesn't say when men disobey his word, God doesn't say you win some and you lose some, off to the next man. Now, we believe that God is without passions, but we also believe, he, and he wasn't surprised by all of this. He ordains everything that comes to pass but when a man rejects God's word, he's not a cold slab. He's not indifferent to our rejection. 
He's a God who grieves over sin. The Lord grieves over Saul's, but he will not give the kingdom back to him. But Samuel's a man, and Samuel will change his mind. What did he do? Well, Saul kept asking for him to go with him, and finally he said he would. And we don't know the reasons exactly why. There are some thoughts as to why. Could it be that Saul was trying, I mean, that Samuel wanted Saul to stop the groveling? Could it be that he was wanting to keep up the appearances so that the kingdom would hold together until the new man was in place? We don't know. There's another reason that commentators give here, and I'll share that with you in a minute. But in verse 31, we're told that Samuel went back with Saul. And we're told that Saul worshipped God alone. Samuel did not worship the Lord, but Saul worshipped the Lord. He worshipped the Lord with what? He worshipped him with the best livestock from Amalek. He worshipped him with much fat. He worshipped him with many animals. I'm sure it was extravagant. If you go and look at all the extravagant worship that happened when Solomon worshipped God, I think it's in 1 Kings 8, it was extravagant. Maybe this, maybe this was just as extravagant as that. But this worship by Saul was rejected by God because all that he used, all the fat, all the animals, they should have been killed on the battlefield. So it wasn't pleasing to God. Now we come to why some commentators believe Samuel goes back with Saul. You know why maybe he went back with Saul? Well, he calls for Agag. He calls for the king. He calls for Saul's trophy to be brought out. And so Agag comes out cheerfully. And you remember, the man who's calling him out is a man of words. He's not a man of war. But the man of words takes out a sword. And he reminds him of all the sins about how he has killed children in the presence of their mothers. Then he took that sword and he hacked Agag to pieces. I submit to you one man worshiped God and it was rejected and the other man worshiped God and it was accepted one was doing things according to the will of God Samuel worshiped God appropriately and what should Donna have done when she was confronted with the word of God and what should Saul have done when he was confronted with the word of God well we know what they should have done she should have turned away from this relationship Saul should have repented on the spot and what about us? When the Word of God comes to us, what should we do? Think about what should we do if the Word of God comes to you. Let's say it comes to you now. And let's say that the Word of God is pounding on your heart and your heart rate goes up. What should you do? Maybe you should get a sheet of paper out. Did you do this when you were younger? Maybe you should get a sheet of paper out and you should write on that sheet of paper all the things you have been omitting to do and you should write on there all the things that you've been committing that you know you ought not to do. And you should write it all down because you see, years ago, it was the thing to do to get it all done and start obeying God no matter how long it took. Now here's the question. Have we grown so sophisticated that we can worship God in such a way as we can say, come back and worship with me and I'm going to hold on and make sure nobody knows that I've got sins in my heart. That's what he's doing. What am I doing here? It, have we gotten so mature that we can be so, and we can be sophisticated and stifle the Holy Spirit that's working in our hearts? Man, 
it, it just get you know, it, it's it's really sweet. Go get the sheet of paper out, write down what needs to be done, write down, write down what needs to be stopped, and go out and pursue that until those things are accomplished. And if it takes two years, let it be so. We want to walk with God, we want to worship God. Are we too sophisticated? Saul is saying, I have sinned, and I want to save face at the same time. I want business as usual. Congregation, sweet obedience is always according to the Word of God. And we should always long for God's Word to cut us more deeply, for the Holy Spirit to work in us more powerfully. And as He does so, we'll have fresh mercies and we'll walk more closely. And we will always take our agags and we will hack them to pieces. There's so much more could be said on that, but I'll stop on there. Third, let's look at the separation from the Word of God. In verses 34 and 35, Samuel and Saul, this is a terrible thing. We saw it in first, in chapter 13. Remember, Samuel walked away from Saul. Well, now Samuel walks away from Saul forever. He'll never see Saul again. Their relationship is broken forever. He came to him, he spoke to him, he told him what to do, and he disobeyed again. And so now one goes to Ramah, and the other goes to Gibeah, and they never see each other again. Saul is separated from God's word. Never to receive direction from Samuel again. No wisdom, no counsel, no encouragement, no commands. He will be in a state of unbearable silence. Until one day he seeks a witch at Endor to talk to a dead prophet. He's rejected the word of the Lord and now... We need to make sure that we understand that not only has he rejected the word of the Lord, but he's rejected the Lord. Sometimes when we talk about faith, we talk about what Jesus did. We talk about what, um, what Jesus has done for us and all these facts, and we're, we're thinking about putting our faith in facts. But we remember we're embracing Christ. He's... He's not embracing the Lord. He's rejecting the Lord, and the Lord has turned away from him. The word of the Lord can be taken away from all of us. We can hear the word of God, and we cannot appropriate it. We can hear the word of God and not appropriate it until we are sort of like this floor. And there's just all these sown seed on this old hard floor. Jesus talks about this, right, in a parable. There's all these seeds, and these devilish birds come, and what do they do with that seed? They come and they eat it up, and they remove it. And Jesus says these words, Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is what I, th I think my wife says this to my, my kids almost every other day. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The Word of God can be taken away, and our hearts become hard continued rejection of the word of God and separation from it places you in a condition of what's called apostasy Saul continually repented he continually confessed his sins but he did so in a superficial way he worshipped in the eyes of men but not in the eyes of God he's always thinking horizontally and he enters into apostasy I think Hebrews 6 4 through 6 is a great passage of scripture as we relate it to Saul. Listen to these words. Saul had been enlightened, but he continually chose darkness. 
Saul had tasted the heavenly gift, but he had not received it by faith. Saul had shared in the, the power of the Holy Spirit to work in him for service, yet the Spirit of God did not leave his nature in him. Saul had tasted the goodness of God's word, yet he persistently disobeyed it. Saul had tasted the powers of the coming age, yet all, the, all that apart from God's grace. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, apart, that, that for this type of person, it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. God must have told Samuel, there's no, don't go talk to him ever again. John Bunyan writes of apostasy and Pilgrim's Progress, and this is what he writes. There's a man in an iron cage, and this is what the man in the iron cage said. I left off to watch and be sober. I laid the reins upon the neck of my lust. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart, but I cannot repent. That's some terrible words. Can you know that you're a reprobate or not? Can you know whether you're beyond recovery like Saul? Can you know if a friend of yours is in this terrible state of apostasy? I submit to you, you and I can never know. We can't know. You may be here tonight. You may say, my heart's so hard, I can never come to Christ. Well, isn't it interesting that here you are again? <laughs> You're here? And let me, let me put it to you like this. We learn this in our catechism. God spoke this world into existence by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. And I will say to you, if God can do that, He can break a sinner's heart, any sinner's heart, any person that you're praying for's heart, because there's no heart harder than this word. This word can do it. This word can change you. Even right now, let's say you say, well, I'm not, I'm not in this predicament, but I sure need a word. Well, friend, let's read the Bible. And go read the Bible and let God's Word work in your heart because this Word can change hard hearts. It can change us when we're hurting. It can help us. And so you and I, we need to be careful to give sweet worship to the Lord. Always going vertical. Always repenting of our sins before God alone. If you're going to worry yourself sick, let me tell you one thing I think it's okay to worry about and make yourself sick over. Worry, worry yourself sick over being right with God. <laughs> we can talk together about what, how anxious you should be, okay? But if you're going to worry about anything, worry about that. Be right with God. S seek to humbly receive God's Word implanted. James tells us it's able to save our souls. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for these difficult passages and yet so much filled with wonderful truth. We pray that we would be those who repent and repent not superficially, but really and truly. We pray that we would be those who would worship you, not superficially, but really and truly. And we pray, Father, that we would never be separated from the Word of God, never be separated from the Spirit of God using the Word of God in our lives. We pray that your word would be at work in our hearts and that it would be good, our, our hearts would be good soil and that 
there would be this 30 and 60 and 100 fold increase uh, as it works in us. Father, we pray that you'll take us from this place and that you would help us to prepare for this next week. We have many things to do, many duties, many obediences out there for us to accomplish. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us in our schoolwork, help us in our homework, help us in uh, the different jobs and different tasks that are in front of us. We pray that you will help us and that we might glorify you every moment of every day. And we pray that you'll bring us back here next Sunday to do this all over again for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.